You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Welcome to the podcast, and if you didn't join us last week or we've never met before, my name is Ryan Gagler, and I work here at Riverview Church as our Generations Pastor, and I'm joined here by my friend Reese. Yes, my name is Reese, and my other name is Michelle. It's Reese Michelle. <laughs> a lot of people get confused over how to pronounce it. Mm. So you know, if if you ever what uh, heritage is? I, I think there's some French in there, mm. but I think it's mostly English. But I'll, you know what? I'll claim it. It sounds exotic, mm. um, and yeah, I'll, I'll, apparently there's some kind of French military man way oh, back, wow. way back. Um, yeah, and I I'm, I work here at Riverview. I work in the film and in the production areas, and yeah, it's good to be with you. Wonderful, Reese. If your life was an ice cream flavor, <laughs> what flavor would it be? Oh goodness me! Uh, it probably wouldn't be strawberry, even though that's my favorite. Mm. Um, it would probably be some kind of uh, rainbow <laughs> scenario. <laughs> there you go. I was thinking about that. I feel like I'd be a bit of a chalk chip cookie dough guy. Because it's kind of bland at some points, but then there's some you good little surprise. In there. Yeah. yeah. Do they in, in Australia? Do they have? Um, I'm not sure. I've come across it, but in New Zealand, they have something called goody goody gumdrops. No, never heard of which that. Which is like kind of like <laughs> a bubble gummy flavored ice cream that has um, maximum little chewy lollies in it, little juby kind of mm. little things. That's Delicious. that's that's my go-to. What a treat! Yes. What a treat! How are you going, Reese? How's the last uh, week or so been? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, I'm probably doing better and better the longer the kind of the global pandemic goes on, and I'm I'm feeling quite good today. I had a good ride in. It was it was the temperature is getting colder, so on my daily commute on my bike into the office, uh, it's yeah, it's definitely kind of I'm having to rug up a bit more, but but no, it's good. It was a good pleasant ride, mm. and I'm feeling quite fresh. It's good. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you, and you're you're still working from the office at the moment. I right? am, yeah. I am. I don't I don't know how these people work at home with mm. all the children running around in the mayhem. Yes, lucky for me, I do not have little children running around uh, at the moment when I'm working from home. But uh, still getting a little used to that, and to be honest, getting a little bit sick of it now. Um, yeah. I think the you know the the freshness of working from home has slightly worn, worn off. off. Yeah, are you looking for a change, Ryan? Yes, maybe, yes. maybe. Well, I'm still trying to adjust to this previous <laughs> change, <laughs> yeah. uh, and in fact, that's part of the topic of conversation that we wanted to have today was around the subject of change. Mm. And obviously, we are finding ourselves in a rapidly changing world um, with quite significant things happening. And I feel like if there was a way for me to describe the last month, it would be the word whiplash. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I've been in one relatively serious car accident in my life and I got uh, hit in the rear end and I had a sore neck. And it's kind of a little bit disorientating. You're kind of <laughs> figuring out what's going yeah. on. And I feel like what's happened it seemed to happen quite quickly, maybe across the span of a week. Maybe that's not that quick for some people, but maybe for me it is. Mm. Uh, I felt like there was a two-week period where I was walking around with a sore neck, feeling a bit disorientated, um, not necessarily not liking the new normal, but trying to figure out how to get used to it and feeling a bit um, spaced out in it. Yeah, I can imagine um, when one's experiencing actual whiplash, there's some flow on effects, there's mm. some rehab, there's mm. some lingering 
things that you're having to deal with. And I, I imagine that's that's why it's an apt metaphor for what we're experiencing now. I'm certainly kind of feeling the flow-ons from, you know, things that happened a week ago or a month ago, you know. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's obviously a huge topic. Change is a huge topic of conversation, but one that we think is worth having because if you've lived longer than five minutes, you will have known that change is something that is inevitable. Mm. Sometimes change is difficult. Sometimes change is, change is really good. And so we thought it'd be valuable for us just to have a conversation around change and how do we deal with change? How do we face change? And particularly as followers of Jesus, as um, people who want to live in step with the Spirit of God, how do we deal with change? And so to help us have that conversation, we're really excited um, to be joined by Dr. Tanya Watson. And Tanya is an amazing mm. part of our staff team here. She's she an is. executive pastor. And uh, over the last couple of months, I've had the privilege of working fairly closely with her and being able to observe the way she deals with change and manages change. And um, she's someone that I would describe as steadfast um, and has an amazing ability to bring beauty and, and goodness out of things that are happening around. And so I'm really excited that we get to sit in a room with her today. And we're really excited to share this with you. Um, listen closely because she's got some fantastic wisdom. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for joining with us today on the podcast. Uh, I thought before we begin and um, dive into our topic of conversation, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your story, how you came to be um, here at Riverview Church, and maybe a little bit about how you came to know um, the love of Jesus as well. Mm, well, maybe we'll just stick to how I came to Riverview yeah, Church. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do that. Jesus is a much longer story. Um, so I came to Riverview Church uh, having spent 10 years at Churches of Christ in WA where I was uh, what's called the executive minister. And, and really that was a leadership role. There were 65 churches in the movement in Western Australia. So it was um, not so much leading those churches from out front, but it was really helping the churches to remember who we are together as a movement and uh, helping us to be on mission together was one of our big takeaways for that time. Hmm. So that was a real privilege to be a part of that, working with the senior pastors and the elders and the boards of all of those churches. Um, the second thing that happened during those 10 years was I had the opportunity to do a doctorate, um, which was another important part of what I would call a cultural rebuild of Churches hmm. of Christ in WA. And, and that's... Um, it came out of my observation that in Australia, I feel a real calling to the church in Australia mm. to be all that we could be in <laughs> Jesus' good. name. And it's a curious thing when you have a lot of, to do with leaders to see how leaders lead and to see leaders come and go over time. Mm. And I've been around long enough to see that happen. And I started to wonder how much the church is actually affected more by culture than we like to think mm. and more by the Australian culture. So my research project ended up looking at the relationship between trust and authority and leadership, but particularly in the Australian culture. So what is it about the yeah. Australian culture that makes leadership um, really challenging? What is it? Why is it that we have such low um, levels of trust in Australia? Mm. And uh, why do leaders keep falling over, mm. really? And why do they keep falling over in the church? Yeah. So I think... Um, 
unfortunately, we get we're more captive to culture than we than we do like to think. Yeah. Well. And so, um, one of my mandates is to set the captives free. I think that's mm, what that's God's awesome. called me to do. And so, when I think about Australian culture, I'm thinking about things like individualism and indulgence and orient and orientation. We like things happening right now, mm. and and how that affects us as followers of Jesus. So. Um, the thing about doing a doctorate, I think, is, is more about naming things that you can then talk about that then then we can decide to do differently. Yeah, that's great. There's so much that we live with that's unconscious that we don't think about and that's what's that's what holds us captive. It's mm, wonderful. Well, we're really glad to have you here at Riverview, but we're also really glad to have you in the room for this conversation. And today, as we've already mentioned, we're talking a little bit about change and um I mean, we might need a little bit longer to talk about change. It's a big topic. Um, but, you know, we were discussing even um, off air that change is a, it's a hugely broad topic, but it's also one that, that brings a lot of different emotions, a lot of different thoughts to mind. Um, Reese, you were talking a little bit yeah. about variety and change. And- yeah, in the, in the past week or so while we've been thinking about the topic of change and change has been forced upon us week to week over the past kind of couple of months. I would ask people, when I say the word change, what's the first thing that comes up? And some people say, oh, I love it. And some people immediately are triggered and they start thinking about, um, they start explaining how they manage it and try to corral change in their life. Um, and for me, I'm I'm probably one of those who's immediately triggered when I think of change. I think of all the things that I've had to adjust in the past couple of months. I think about um, having children and the changes that has brought about. I think about having growing a small business into a successful business, into a business that has financial crisis into now what, you know, all of that kind of bubbles up within me. When I say change, what does, what comes up for you? Uh, yeah, look, I've been thinking about this as well and realising and, and had to make myself realise that change is not change, it's my response to change. So if I want a million dollars today, that would be really good change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's actually when change is uncomfortable and disruptive that I have a problem with change. Mm. Um, so I'm a bit more careful about saying I love change because I, I do love change, but it depends on how, you know, my response to it. So um, I think these days um, I tend to now think most questions through what does this mean for me as a disciple of Jesus when I'm feeling mm. uncomfortable or discomfort that for me is an immediate trigger to okay, what's going on in my heart? Yeah, well, what does it? What does this mean for me in my heart? So change, in some senses, it's almost like a gift because it exposes some things that are happening under the surface. Yeah, well, when I, when my peace is disruptive, that that's mm. an immediate indication as to okay, if I'm experiencing that, that there's something in my soul that is not at peace, and that doesn't make sense for me in my in my theology because Jesus is present and Jesus is the Prince of Peace in all things. Mm. So anxiety is a normal human response to change, for example, and that is uh, that is a gift to my body that says something's not quite right. So then my mission is to find out, well, why, why am I feeling <laughs> yeah. anxious and is there any basis for that? Otherwise you just carry on with anxiety, which makes you feel sick and awful and you end up at the doctors and, you know, there, I'm not mm. saying that there's no... Sometimes we don't need medication, but I'm also saying we don't tend to do the work of saying, why am I feeling yeah, yeah. anxious? Yeah, well, I mean, from working with you for a little while now, you seem like a very measured, stable, uh, quite steadfast person. How do you feel personally when you're, when you're dealing with change? Like inside, are you feeling like the little, um, you know, duck's legs running underwater or like what's going on for you? Yeah, the massive physical response. So I've noticed over COVID, um, 
it's like um, ants running inside underneath your skin. Mm. You know, oh, you wow. feel the mm. adrenaline. So I actually did have an adrenaline um, when it, adrenaline fatigue. I know what oh, that wow. is. Um, I come from an anxiety background, so um, huge, um, huge uh, health issues uh, related to anxiety. So this has been like mm. I'm now 57. So been attending to this for. 40 years of my life, I would say. Um, And so part of it has been a medical, you know, understanding what's going on physically and doing the proper things to manage that. But the other part is the spiritual work of saying if if Jesus is truly real, then his peace Mm. passes everything else. And and so um, making sense for me has been learning learning what's going on in my heart, how yeah. to read that so that even when I'm having adrenal, adrenaline fatigue or adrenaline spike actually was what it was, um, yes, there are some physical things I need to do, but I also need to search my heart out and going, this is telling me that that I want to trust Jesus, but actually I feel so far out of my depth that I am not trusting Jesus right mm. now. And so this is an opportunity for me to get quiet and to pray and to ask the Spirit of God to help me. Mm. But, yeah, on the inside, I can even feel it right now. There's a few <laughs> things on my to-do list today that are really pressing and I don't know which ones to go on mm. and I'm really frustrated and I can feel the anxiety inside my body, which is saying mm. this is not a comfortable situation. Yeah, well, I, I guess one of the things I've been reflecting on, um, especially in light of COVID and a lot of the changes happening, is is the statement I think that we find in Hebrews that, Jesus, that you know, God in flesh is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I was thinking a lot about that. We, I mean, we mention it a huge amount in church. It's kind of like a bumper sticker kind of passage. But what makes that good news? You know, in this conversation of change, why is that significant um, to have a God who is unchanging? Unchanging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, a friend of mine has this thing, um, Jesus is an anxious, so why am I? <laughs> Which is very confronting to actually think that through. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask myself that. Jesus isn't anxious, so why am I? Jesus was not overwhelmed by change. Mm. Um, he had that freedom to be able to navigate all sorts of challenging, anxiety-producing situations and to be perfectly at peace. And I think that's why Jesus is such good news because when we welcome him into our lives, when we are, when we become a follower of Jesus, his actual presence then is resonant within us. And what's limiting our experience that is is ourselves, not not Jesus. The mm. capacity to experience that same level of peace in in anxiety producing moments is available to us, but we limit our own accessibility to it. Mm. And so um, it's that. I think that's what we mean by cooperating with the spirit when we say Jesus never changes and and his presence is within me. So how can I cooperate with him to actually access that right now because I feel like I'm out of my depth and I'm very anxious. Mm, yeah. So that's why he's good news because I can't do this. Humanly speaking, I cannot come to a place of peace. But I can absolutely trust that Jesus is present. Yeah. And therefore I can be at peace and I can still experience anxiety, but fundamentally I am at peace. And that's a very, that's, that's such good news. Mm. I suppose what you're talking about is effectively kind of learning and reckoning with what it is that you're feeling and experience and also learning and reckoning what it, what it means to experience peace or trust 
in that moment because the natural temptation, at least for me, is to when I'm overwhelmed is to be like, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus is unchanging. I can be at peace. <sighs> Enough oh. of that. I've got things that I need to deal with. I yeah, have yeah. these things yeah. on my plate. I don't have time for that nonsense, you know, like even though like I would probably um, that might not be a palatable thought to say in the moment to someone. But um, but you can't just flick a switch and have peace. You have to delve into what it is that you're actually feeling mm. and you have to delve into mm. what actually is available to us through Jesus, which is hard in the moment. It's hard, like, you can't, I, I imagine it's the same for you. You can't just flick a switch and be like, oh, I'm all Zen and chill now. I've got <laughs> the peace of Jesus, which surpasses all understanding with me. Great. Onward. No, it's, I think it's an act of surrender. And, and our will, mm. our will and our survival instinct is incredibly strong. Jesus, you know, we've been made with these um, very human things. So it's an act of surrender. Um, so one of the things that I've been finding really helpful is a framework. Um, there's a scholar called Alexander Shire who um, looked at the four Gospels and, and asked some questions around why those four Gospels, why in those four orders, yes, they give us an account of the historical Jesus or the historic Jesus, um, and we learn so much from them. But he, but he asked the question, you know, why those four Gospels and why in that order? And is it possible that those four Gospels actually were fundamental to how you make disciples in the world? And so his work looks at each Gospel and, and there's a framing question he believes that looks over each Gospel. So let me just go through the first one, which is the Gospel of Matthew. And the framing question he says for that Gospel is, how do we face change? So as disciples of Jesus, how do we face change? And his research suggests that um, the community to which the Gospel of Matthew was written originally was a community that experienced um, unbelievable change in a very mm. short space of time, um, COVID-level change where the, the whole um, temple was completely and absolutely destroyed, where people had to flee for their lives into, into different communities. So, you know, literally had were mm. refugees yeah. en masse. And then when they were able to get together, you know, they were asking questions about why did this happen? Why did God allow this change to happen? You know, were we not God's people? And so if you think about the Gospel of Matthew being written to people who were experiencing high change and high trauma, how did that teach them to live through that change? And so even something as simple as asking myself this question, okay, so today, how as a follower of Jesus am I facing change? I then go to the Gospel of Matthew, which contains stories about how people face change. Mm. And the beautiful part about Matthew that I didn't realise is that actually chapter one is all about Joseph. Mm. And you think, well, why isn't Mary the most important person in chapter one of Matthew, the birth narratives of Jesus? It's because maybe if this is true, this theory is true, it's because Joseph is the example of a very good man to whom very, very bad things happen yeah. out of his control. Yeah. He is the good boy who's going to marry the good girl and future looks great and then all of a sudden, hello, I'm pregnant. Mm. What, what does that mean? And then this angel appears and that's incredibly confronting. And, and Joseph, the very good man, um, has to contend with so much change in such a short space mm. of time and he willingly embraces that change because he has an unshakable faith in the unshakable God. If God is in this, we will be okay. And I think you see that same um, 
when you compare Joseph and then you turn to chapter 2 and you look at Herod, how did Herod face the same change? Mm. Well, Herod starts to rely on his own power and resources and we end up with a horrible massacre of the innocents at the end of chapter 2. And that's Herod's response to change. Mm. And you think about, well, how did the wise men who were in the first part of chapter 2, how did they respond to change? Well, they were smart enough to ask questions and to look around and they, that's why they were called the wise men. Mm-hmm. And, and God revealed himself to them in a dream and they paid attention to that. Now, we don't know if they were godly or not. We don't know who these wise men were, but we've got three different contrasts of how people mm-hmm. face change. And, we, and it leaves us with the question, so today, how will I face change? Will I be like Joseph and believe that God is in today, God who is unchanging, God for whom is never caught off guard or by surprise, God who always has a plan that will always be worked out? Will I trust in that God? Or will I trust in my own resources, which will probably end up not good, like Herod? Can I learn from the wise men who, even if I'm not sure about who this God is, I think I'll pay attention to what he might be saying. That's a really interesting framework. I think I'm going to probably need to <laughs> revisit that a little bit because, you know, the my personal tendency is to kind of, you know, just latch onto the one verse and keep it as a totem that I remind myself of rather than kind of having a, a broader framework that perhaps might be more meaningful or helpful. Um, can we talk practically for a second about um, you as a leader We've talked about personal change and how kind of a framework that you might um, approach change. As a leader, you've had to be a part of bringing about significant change in organisations that impact people's um, work life, their personal life. Um, Can you talk us through how you go about that? Are you using that same framework to influence how you're bringing about change? Are there particular things that you um, bear in mind when... um, going into those conversations, those meetings, those um, those communications? Yeah. Um, I, so organisational change is a whole other thing. I think, um, I think I've become a person, I think as you mature as a follower of Jesus, you look for what's the fruit in your life. Mm. <laughs> so hopefully these days I am much more of a person who comes from a place of love. And I can pinpoint that back to a moment in time where I was driving around in my car one night and it was a revelation from God. He said to me, you know, you're, you think your heart is the size of your little fingernail, but actually I've given you a heart that's like a big powerhouse. It's oily, oh, greasy, wow. dirty power. You, you, I'm giving you a powerhouse of a heart. Now, while God gave that to me, I was in my early 30s. I have to tell you that then there was a lot of wrestling where God was then shaping my heart because if he's given you, given me big heart capacity, um, I can fill it with all kinds of rubbish. And so there's still that personal process of learning how to be a person who the love of Christ is manifest out of my heart, which means I need to have a heart that can contain it. So I'm coming from an orientation of love. So, yes, I've got some skills and abilities and experience and I'm interested in culture and I'm interested in how people work together. But if I'm not coming primarily from a pace of love, yeah, well. I could end up like King Herod with a bloodbath on my hands. I get my own way, but it's probably not going to be good. So I'm coming from a place of love. I'm on these days coming from a place of gentleness. 
And I would say that I haven't always been a person of gentleness. And I remember asking God to help me grow in the grace of gentleness. Because when you have a leadership gift, it comes with an edge. Now, age will wear the edge down a bit. Age and experience do that. But I do think that one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Mm. So that even if I have a clear idea or I can read people accurately or I think I've got my hands around it, gentleness says to me that people are the most important part of this process. People, What people think, how they're feeling, how they're responding, I must pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And that requires gentleness or otherwise I'll default to I want, my, I want to get my own way here. Mm. And that will change my time frame. If I'm not gentle, I'll go for a fast time frame. Sometimes you need to make decisions in a hurry. But if you don't have gentleness, um, I think we do more damage than if we have gentleness and people know that you're going to be gentle. Mm. I'm not sure if that's answering your question. Probably the other thing I do is, um, and one of the things I've, I've um, talk to the team here about is it's really a useful exercise to sit back and think what's my philosophy of leadership and so um, over the years I've developed what are, where are those moments in my life where God has spoken to me as a leader and those have fundamentally changed who I am and they now form what I call a philosophy of leadership how is it and why is it I do the thing what are those driving things so I have a fundamental belief for an example that when, Paul, when Peter says to us, um, God has given us everything we need, when I look at a group of people, I fundamentally start going, okay, God has already given us everything we need around this table. How can I bring out the best of that? Mm. I'm not coming in here with a solution then. I'm coming in here with, a, with an automatic, no, we need to collaborate. My idea, idea might be a great idea, but it will be greater because we've got yeah, 16 awesome. people around the table. In the same way that someone mm. else might have a really great idea, and I would like the invitation to contribute to that because mm. it's always going yeah, to be better, stronger, yeah. more well thought through and more likely to succeed. Yeah. Mm. So that, But that's the driver is a theological driver that says God has given us everything we need. Another one that's closely aligned to that is where Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Mm. Now, I don't believe that in and of myself I fundamentally know what the mind of Christ is. I think Christ, the mind of Christ is revealed in community. That's how we weigh, test and discern. Mm. Beautiful. And there's um, confidence that comes from that. There's a security that comes from that because it doesn't. We're making decisions together. I'm not making a decision on my own. It's mm, good. It's really illuminating. I, um, I would love to just ask you a little bit about. So, so when you're talking about all of this change, it becomes evident to me that in some senses, change is a gift because it creates change in us and the kind of transforming change that Christ has spoken about. Um, And I guess I would just love to hear from you um, maybe just a little bit of hope in this season. Like what do you you think God is at work in at the moment? Mm -hmm. What kind of things is he producing in us? Um, So if we're facing change that, of course, is uncomfortable, and um, sometimes makes us feel anxious or respond in ways that we wouldn't like to. You know, think of the words of James, you know, when you face trials and things along those lines, it's going to do something in you. So I'd just love to hear from you, like what the moment we find ourselves in, what should we be keeping kind of an eye out for being produced in us? Mm. Uh, Look, I think um, it seems to me that this is an opportunity for for the heart. And I... um, 
this is just what I'm experiencing. So I'm experiencing this opportunity for deeper, deeper examination of my heart. And I, to be honest, I don't know if this is about me or whether this is actually for the church more generally. I hope it's for the church more generally mm. because we've been put into a situation where everything has changed and we can't control it. And so um, so I think when I think about the captivity, I think I can only think through the lens in which I, I feel my calling and that is to set the captives free and I feel this call to the church in Australia. I'm not even particularly wedded to a particular denominational frame. I just feel like I love the church, I love the church in Australia and I get tired of the church copying and trying to be the church of something else from another place. What, hmm. is it, what does it look like to be a truly hmm. authentic Australian church full of Australian people and, you know, multiculturalism, all of that, we're all Australian people. Yeah. What does that kind of church look like and why don't we see that? Why do we see imported versions hmm. reinterpreted in Australia? Because, And the reason why I think this is a problem is because we are, we are struggling to communicate Jesus as good news to our friends and neighbours. So it's not rocket science to go, okay, so we've got a problem here. Why, why is the gospel not good news for Australian people? It's a driving question inside my soul. And so when I look at culture, and I'm getting to the heart because mm. I think culture um, has a lot to do with the default orientation of the heart. So when I understand Australian culture or think about Australian culture, we rate, and, and you guys have heard me talk about this, but we rate 90 out of 100 on a scale of individualism. And so even as a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm asking myself the question, am I, am I relating to God on an individualistic basis? Is it all about me? And if it is, then that's probably a problem. So now I've got a heart issue that I need to wrestle with. In the COVID environment, the temptation is to make this all about me. I need to secure myself. I need to make sure that I'm going to be okay. So we can talk about community, helping our neighbours till the cows come home. But actually, if we don't attend to the fact that as Australian people, our primary driver is going to be individualism, uh, I think we're not going to get too far, actually. We'll have good intentions and some good deeds, but essentially people are still going to be oriented from the individual. Now, that's generally speaking. When you then talk to the church, when you talk, when you talk about a Christian context, if as followers of Jesus we don't recognise this, then I think we might come out of this okay as the church. Will the church be glorious in this opportunity? Probably not, hmm. which is a really awful thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I want the church to not survive this. Mm -hmm. I'd like the church to be the glorious um, mm -hmm. evidence that Jesus is real in the same way that the first followers of Jesus yeah. were glorious demonstrations of the reality of Jesus. That the, the, you know, Historians would tell us that the whole world changed because the first believers were people who loved well. They loved their own community well and no one was without any need. You know, we read that and we read that and we think, oh, well, let's do this now, but we're nowhere near understanding what that looked like, the level of sacrifice that is truly required. Um, I don't even like saying this because I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't know that I could go anywhere near that level of sacrifice yeah, that is required yeah. to really deal with individualism. Um and not only were they good to the people of their own community, but they were also good to the people on the outside. They were the ones rescuing the girl babies who were being abandoned on doorsteps, burying the dead, touching the sick, feeding the poor. That's how the world changed. It wasn't so much about what they were saying. It was about the example of their lives. 
Now, all of this is about the heart. I just keep coming back to all of this makes sense for me when I think about the condition of the heart. Mm. And so someone asked me a question yesterday, which is quite profound, you know, can, does God give us a heart transplant? Because we use that language. And I, and I went, actually, I can't, I don't think that's true anymore. I can't say that because I don't, I think God says when he gives us a new heart, he's actually freeing us from the captivity of what we of the default of the heart so that we can be new kinds of people. Mm, he attends to that. Yeah. He gives us the power to change our heart. He doesn't give us a heart transplant because if he gives us a heart transplant, then I can just blame God for the fact that I'm not a very good Christian because I don't have to take any responsibility. <laughs> yeah, well. But that's not true. Mm. That's not true. We have to take responsibility for our heart. That's the opportunity that God gives mm. us. But he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. So, again, it's that kind of relaxed I, I'm cooperating. I don't have to generate and get this right myself, mm. which is, you know, life Life um, needs to be looked at through a longer lens of becoming more like Jesus, becoming more glorious as I get older, I think now is a new mantra. It's hmm. mm, great. This, I know for me personally this conversation has been a great blessing. So thank you for yeah. joining us today, Tanya. I wonder if just to close out our time you could just pray for us as we navigate the big bad world of change <laughs> and uh, attempt to do that in you know, the echoes of Christ. Father, I thank you for um, this good news of Jesus and for however we received the good news, whether it was in a moment of desperation, whether it was a moment of fear, However we felt when we first heard the message of Jesus and our hearts beat fast and we responded and said yes to you. Lord Jesus, would you remind us of that moment where we welcomed you into our lives and would you help us to reflect on how much we've grown since we first met you and would you help us to reflect on all of the goodness of, um, that you've poured into our lives and the fact that you have never, ever left us alone. As we reflect on difficulties that we might have been through previously, Lord, you've never let us alone. You've always been with us, even mm. when we haven't understood what's been going on, mm. even when we failed, even when we feel like we've gone backwards, you've never, ever left us. And so as we find ourselves today in a, a new season of change and uh, tomorrow will bring more change and the day after, change will keep coming at us. We thank you that you, Jesus, never, ever leave us alone and that is such good news for us mm. because you never leave us. Even when we're afraid, we can look to your face and ask you for the help that we need and know that you will give us that help. And so I thank you for the comfort that that brings and I pray comfort over your church because when we're comforted, then we can respond from a place that is um, less anxious, less self-involved and less self-focused because, Jesus, you are the rock-steady place in our souls. And so I ask that you would be that for us as Riverview Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I mean... My head is racing. I think I'm, uh, to be honest, I, you know, and maybe this is wrong. When we enter in these conversations, you kind of have a bit of a, a framework as to maybe what we'll talk about, where 
where it'll go. Um, I feel really blessed by that conversation just because it went way <laughs> beyond what I thought yeah. we would talk about and kind of, um, yeah, I think just went right under the surface and that's a little bit uncomfortable. Like it just, yeah, we thought we were going to go and talk about change but we kind of talked about <laughs> why change mm, is yeah. something of discomfort. Yeah, I mean the, f- the first thing that jumps out with me is is the notion of gentleness when approaching change because I'm I wouldn't describe myself as a particularly gentle person. Um mm. I'm sure my children would <laughs> if they were old enough to articulate that they would probably like they go to their mother for some gentleness but but I think about that in terms of so often if I'm in a time of change it's there's it's never in isolation. I mean, isolation is mm. a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Mm. But change is experienced with people and in a certain context mm. and really do I exhibit the gentleness that I probably should or would like to. So that's the first thing that pops up, the stuff yeah, that I yeah. feel like I'm going to have to dig deeper in um, through that conversation that one doesn't have to be, um, you know, it's available. It's available to us. Mm. And I feel prompted to go into that coming mm. out of this conversation. Yeah, I think I... Yeah, my head's spinning a little bit because I think I probably even rolled up this morning thinking I was one of those people that liked change. <laughs> and I think, you know, even as you kind of articulated, I think recognizing I probably like variety more than I like change. Like mm. I'll go into a restaurant and be stoked that I can order different things each time. But if the restaurant put up on their doors, we're closed permanently. Like I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't dare you. <laughs> I don't like change anymore. How do you have a day off? Um and so I think I'm just kind of coming to terms with the fact that maybe I'm not as comfortable with change happening to me as I would like. But then allowing my heart to be something that is essentially like an indicator of, you know, what's what's going on in that space. Yeah. Um, like I, I don't think I'm someone that uh, deals with a huge amount of like anxiety when it comes to change. But I'm I'm definitely a, a control freak, and I think that almost like what Tanya was saying, that almost has the potential to cause more damage, because in the midst of things changing, I try and get my hands too fixed on things. Yeah, yeah, um, and that can, like you said, almost cause damage for things like gentleness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> leave a bit of a wake behind you. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The last thing any of us want to do when it comes to change is to have a trail of blood behind us, you know, whether that be self-inflicted through just unable to like, you know, we're doing harm to ourselves Mm. through the process of change by not approaching it in a helpful way Mm. or we are through our actions during change maybe inflicting that on others. But, yeah, Tanya's right, it's a hard issue when I think I don't, if the restaurant is closed... Who cares about what, you know, that's fine. They've closed the restaurant. But for me, it's it's all internal. It's almost like a change yeah, yeah. brings up a visceral, yeah, it's like you know, like you feel it, you can feel it in your body, here. you can feel it rising up. And the issue is really not whether the restaurant is open or closed or the change has happened, but it's it's a thing that mm. is, it's an internal thing that is the problem. It's not the closing of the restaurant. So it's plenty, plenty for me to chew on there. Mm. 
Well, thanks for joining with us on the podcast today. As always, we'd love for you to subscribe or leave us a review, preferably five stars. Yeah, I love the five star ones. That's right. And if you want to get in touch with us, uh, help let us know about some helpful conversations. You can do so by email at podcast at riverviewchurch.com. Yeah, and you can find us on social media. We're on all the good ones. Uh, unfortunately, we're not on TikTok. No. Uh, but our handle is Riverview Online. And if you'd like to join us for our live stream celebrations on a Sunday, you can. We go live at 10 a.m. That's uh, West Australian time. And we're live on YouTube, Facebook, and that stream is available for 48 hours afterwards as well. All original music today has been by Andrew Warrant. And until next time, keep having conversations. Thank you.